Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Thank you Chido and, and the team. Um, I, I felt like I wanted to sing again and again and, and carry on singing. This is wonderful. Why don't you open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> and we continue in our series of 1 Corinthians. And today we're reading from verse 1 to 28. It's quite a, a large passage. Um, but, yeah. Now I will remind you, brothers... Of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so, we, and so you believed." Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not he, he raised Christ, whom did he, not, he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also have, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only... We are of, of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits. Then at His coming, those who belong to Christ. 
Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of, to God the Father after destroying every rule and, and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemy under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in, subject, in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Lord, we, we've sung, we've prayed, and now we want to hear the words of the true living God. You are alive. You are real. We are not singing. We are not praying to the roof. We are praying to the God above all things, majestic, holy, transcendent, the one who is alive and is very real. And so, Lord, bless your word to our hearts tonight. I pray, Lord, bring my thoughts in alignment to your word and, and help me here, I ask you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. How many of you have played the game Jenga? Yeah? So most of you are familiar with this game. To be completely honest, I don't like that game. It's, it's not nice for my heart because you <laughs> the, for those that are not familiar, Jenga is a, 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 a game where you put these little blocks and you kind of build uh, in alteration with your opponent and you build it up and eventually you have to just keep building. So you need to take pieces uh, out of somewhere to keep putting on top. And at some point, the structure becomes very, uh, very much fragile and it falls down. And uh, it, you always try to take it from the top, not from the bottom, because you know, otherwise it, it messes the whole structure. It's, it's much easier for the whole tower of little blocks comes down. And in a sense, there were some believers in the Corinthian church that were removing a foundational block of the Christian faith, that they were saying, there is no resurrection of the dead. And so Paul is going to address, and this is the the largest chapter uh, and the largest treatise of the resurrection in the whole of uh, in the whole of scriptures. So there were some Corinthian Christians who were denying not the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection of the body. So what happened was they were being influenced by Greek philosophers. Um, Greek philosophers believed in the 
um, eternality of the soul. And soul was good and, and was going to live forever, but not in the body. The body meant uh, evil. It was bad. The body uh, was not seen as a good thing. And so in, in Greek thought, the, there were, after someone dies, they go, their spirit goes to the underworld um, and, and it's, it's living forever. But there is no such a thing as a bodily resurrection. Some, some thought maybe this was an influence of the Jewish um, uh, Sadducees, but this was Corinthians. It was far too removed for, from an influence of that. It is from more the Greek philosophers. And so uh, they believed in the immortality of the soul, but they never conceived in a resurrection of the body. The Greek philosophers thought that the body was evil while the soul was good. In this light, death was considered to be final release of the soul from the body. The body was considered to be a prison. The soul was a prisoner. They held that if a man has to be free from sin, then his soul must be free from its prison house, the body. And so, Paul is going to articulate now in this first half that Denying that there is such a resurrection of a bodily resurrection means that you are actually denying a core foundational fact of the Christian faith. There is a, a, a direct link between the resurrection of Jesus and the final bodily resurrection of believers. But where does he start? He starts first with this, the gospel. The gospel is primary. The gospel is primary. And and he starts saying, I want to remind you brothers of this, of the gospel. And in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And I I want to remind us of this, and, and Paul goes there to remind people of the Gospel. He had just addressed... Um, misuse of spiritual gifts in tongues and prophecy. And he says, I, I want to remind you of that which is primary. The gospel is of first importance. And, and this is just applicable to them who, who, who were maybe very infatuated with, with tongues or prophecy and, 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 and discussions like that. And he says, you need to know what is of first importance. The gospel is primary. The gospel is of first importance. And this is what happens. We often can be tempted to get lost in the secondary issues. 
right? Oh, well, let's, let's talk about tongues. Let's talk about prophecy. Let's talk about eschatology. Let's talk about trichotomy or dichotomy or infralapsarianism and sublapsarianism, credo or infant baptism, normative principle versus regulative principle, open versus closed communion, presuppositional versus classic apologetics, and my list could go on and on and on. And if you don't know what some of those words are, go ask Jabu. But Paul wants to understand, answers to understand something that gospel is primary and it must remain primary. There is, there is a place to study over those issues. We go through the scriptures. We have to tackle all of these issues that, that come up and there is a place for that. But if you lose sight of what's primary, you will be chasing rabbits. So there's a need um, for a theological triage. And this term was coined by, by theologian Albert Moeller, uh, who I listen to on a constant basis. And he's, he explains... A discipline of theological triage will require Christians to determine a scale of theological urgency that will correspond to the medical world's framework for medical priority. So the word triage comes from there. When you come to an emergency room, then they, they want to see at what degree of urgency is, is like, do you have a sore throat or is your heart about to stop? And, and, and they will treat in accordance to the urgency. With this in mind, I will suggest three levels of theological urgency, each corresponding to a set of issues and theological priorities found in current doctrinal debates. So the, the theological triage does not imply that Christians may take any biblical truth with less than full seriousness. We are charged to embrace and to teach the comprehensive truthfulness of the Christian faith as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. There are no insignificant doctrines revealed in the Bible, but there is an essential foundation of truth that undergirds the entire system of biblical truth. And that is the gospel. The primary issue, what we need to agree first and foremost, is on the gospel. This has to be at the forefront of our Christian faith. It is what, what Paul said, that I want to preach nothing less than Christ crucified. And my question to us is, is the gospel the main thing for you? Or or it's just that that you needed to write in your form for to get baptized. Is the gospel at the center? Is the work of Jesus primary to you? And now there's a lot of students tonight here. And I, and I want to say this. At some point in your Christian walk, you might come across teaching or doctrines 
that you have never experienced before and you, and you, and you see them in scriptures and it's like, boom, a, a light bulb just went on. And there is a tendency that you may feel superior and want to bash everyone <laughs> with them. Resist. I want to remind you that our understanding, even of the Scriptures, it is by the Lord enlightening you. It is by His grace that you've come to understand this truth. The Bible says that the Spirit testifies to, to our spirit that we are children of God and the things of the flesh we cannot discern. Naturally, we cannot discern. God enlightens us. And so my my quest to you tonight is to be gracious. Otherwise you will look like a proud Pharisee. So what is the gospel? So he he goes explicitly and says there that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took on flesh, lived the perfect life. He died for our sins and he rose again. And the resurrection is crucial to this message. Paul in Romans 10, 9 includes the resurrection as crucial. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The past two months I have been uh, with my, my dad. They, they've gone back to Brazil now this past week. And this is this verse uh, he quotes constantly. My dad has the gift of evangelism and um, cashiers are his target. <laughs> Anytime we buy something, as, as we pay or as in packing, he's like, do you know Jesus? <laughs> Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart, Confess with your mouth that God's raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. You must go and read it. Here, write it down. <laughs> the gospel is primary and it needs to be primary in our, in our thinking because that is, the, that is the message by which people are saved. People are not saved by your take on tongues or prophecy. Those are not, those are secondary issues and they're important issues. Your, um, your discernment regarding church, uh, how, how a church operates and all, all these important other doctrines. But the gospel needs to be at the front of our lips that's what we are about. And, and it, it, does, it doesn't only 
it's, it's not only helpful to the people that are hearing it, but it's helpful for us to keep the gospel at the center because then you remember, hey, I, I'm not here because I was smarter or because I was better. God used the gospel to save you. That's why you're here. Someone preached the gospel to you. And the Holy Spirit used that word, convicted you of sins, and turned your heart. So the gospel must be primary. Spurgeon said, The most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. That we that we are sinners. That you and I, we fall short on a constant basis. But God, by His grace, sent His Son to pay for my sins. As Pastor Charles said this morning, for you! He gave us new life. The gospel is primary. But he goes on to say how the resurrection is a fundamental historical fact. He, he starts to lay down kind of uh, an argument here. Right. And, and he says, he appeared to Cephas. So the resurrection was, um, was foretold before. It is prophesied about, it was foretold, it came to pass. He appeared to Cephas, Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to Cephas according to what was said. He appeared to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Now, this, this is an interesting phrase because he's saying, well, at, at the time that he's writing this, it's like most of them are still alive. Go and ask. Go and ask them about them witnessing Jesus alive. One commentator puts it, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. Here the apostle provides an objective criterion by which to judge the legitimacy of the Christian worldview. Show that Christ has not been raised from the dead and you will have successfully proven Christianity false. Conversely, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then his life and his teachings are vindicated. The Christian faith, as it turns out, is falsifiable. It is the only religion which bases its faith on an empirically verifiable event. Now, that is high stakes. Because Paul, Paul makes this argument, if Jesus did not rise, if that event did not actually happen, we are wasting our time. He, and as he, he goes uh, showing there's People saw it in arts. Um, there is sometimes arguments uh, against um, the resurrection, and, and and they, in a sense, sometimes a bit laughable. You know, it's it's embarrassing to to see, uh, you know, learned atheists try to uh, come up with with 
uh, a response to resurrection. But how can 500 people see the same thing? You know, some, some atheists have claimed that, no, the disciples, it was uh, an hallucination. But how, how can that happen to a whole bunch of people? And so in verse 8, then, he, he kind of recalls how God was gracious to him. Saying, last of all, as to one untimely born, Christ, he was so gracious that he appeared to me also. <laughs> I have seen him. He appeared also to me. Even though I am the worst, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm, I'm not even worthy of called an apostle because I persecuted the church. I said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. So Paul goes and says, even I, I saw him. He appeared to me even though I persecuted the church. Paul goes on to list a bunch of implications of the resurrection of Jesus. And, and he does it in the negative. And I would like to, in a sense, do it in the positive. Before that, just uh, one, one commentator, Gill, says, If there is no such thing as a resurrection of any, if the thing is not possible, if it never has been, is, or will be true in fact, then is Christ not risen? The apostle argues from a general to a particular, from the general resurrection of the dead to the particular resurrection of Christ. And from a negation of the one to a negation of the other. For what does not agree with the whole does not agree with the part. And what is true of the whole is true of the part. But if the resurrection of Christ is not true, many are the absurdities that must follow upon it. And which the apostle next enumerates. And so let, let us see some of the things that would happen if Christ didn't raise from the dead from let's let's go from verse 14 and if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is vain and your faith is in vain so if Jesus Christ didn't raise there is no point for preaching. Because there is no salvation. There is no gospel. If Christ has not been raised, there is no point of, faith, of, of preaching. Our faith is useless because Christ then did not accomplish salvation for us. It becomes meaningless. Now to put it in, in the in, in the positive. And I'm going to just enumerate this, and you can follow with me in, in the Bible. But because Jesus rose again, preaching is not in vain. 
Our faith is not in vain. We are not misrepresenting God. In other words, we're not saying that God is a liar when, when we say God raised him from the dead. Because Jesus rose again, our faith is not futile. Because Jesus rose again, we are, we are not still in our sins. If Christ did not raise from the dead, we would still be dead in our sins. The price wouldn't have been paid. If Christ had remained dead, that means he died for his own sin. But because he rose again, it means his sacrifice and atonement for us was perfect, was accepted, because death could not hold him. He didn't die for his sin. He, he died for our sins. Death could not keep him. He didn't die. He, he didn't sin. And so he rose again. And that means, yes, the atonement for our sins was accepted by God. Because Jesus rose again, those that died in Christ did not perish. That is an encouragement for them. Your brothers in Christ that died, they, they're not perishing in hell. Because Jesus rose again, we have hope in Christ beyond just this life. In verse 19, that's where I'm getting this from. We have hope in Christ beyond just this life. And I just wanted to pause a little bit on, on this point. And in the New Testament, hope has a special focus of the return of Christ as our blessed hope, a living hope, with the promise that when He appears, we sing it, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope not just for, for the now. It affects how we live now, but also what is to come. MacArthur says, To have hoped in Christ in this life only will be to teach, preach, suffer, sacrifice, and work entirely for nothing. If Christ is still dead, then He not only cannot help us in regard to the life to come, but He cannot help us now. If He cannot grant us eternal life, He cannot improve our earthly life. If He's not alive, where would be our source of peace, joy, or satisfaction now? The Christian life will be a mockery, a charade, a tragic joke. Can you see how important the resurrection of Jesus Christ is? If you take that away, everything falls apart. But Jesus is alive. He rose again. We are not dead in our sins. And, and can I just make a bracket here? There is an objective element to the resurrection of, of Jesus. And Paul lays that. 
But there is also this subjective element that if you are a Christian, surely you have experienced Jesus in a real way. There is a spiritual transformation. There is an affection towards the person of Jesus that is very much real. Jesus is alive. The last few verses, <clears throat> he goes on to speak of how Jesus um, is triumphant and, and will be triumphant over all things. From verse 24, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemy under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, someone mentioned that the idea here is of an heir that goes to battle and comes back with the spoils and places it at the father's feet. And so Jesus did not, doesn't stop reigning when he presents this to the Father. His reign is, is forever. But what this is pointing is that the direct government by God of all creatures is to be at last attained. So that, that, that word there, uh, in, then comes the end. It's the consummation. All the interventions of Authority and power which the fall of man rendered necessary will be needless when the complete triumph of Christ comes in. Thus humanity, having for ages shared the condition of fallen Adam, will be finally restored to the state of an unfallen Adam. And, and that's what he, he points um, makes this contrast in, in verse 22. Just as through one man in Adam, death came. So in Christ, all those that are in Christ shall be made alive. Jesus will come again. And He will Take us to be with him. I have some, just some final thoughts and implications of, of this. Firstly, the Bible speaks about two resurrections. In John 5, 28 to 29, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Everyone is going to be raised. At the end, everyone is going to be raised. The question tonight is to which resurrection? Are you, are you heading towards a resurrection of life? Jesus was the first fruits. What, what does that mean? The first fruits means when, when there is a harvest, the farmers will take 
the fruit to see what the, the rest of the harvest will look like. In order to see, he will take the first fruits and whatever they look like, the rest of the harvest will look like. And Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection that just as Jesus was raised, that's going to happen to us. And so my question is, are you heading toward a resurrection of life or a resurrection of judgment? Have you trusted and put your faith in the living God? Have you trusted and put your faith in Jesus Christ? And secondly, and, and I think this comes from just uh, we as preachers are influenced by what we are currently reading. And I have been challenged as a, a read a, a book on, on prayer by Ian Bounds. And I want to challenge us tonight to spend time with the living Christ. Jesus is alive. You can have a real relationship with Him. Pray, confess, cry, listen to Him, speak in the Scriptures. Present to Him your problems, your afflictions, your needs. Thank Him for the blessings. Talk to Him. He's alive. Jesus is our hope it's our life now and the, and the one to come. Jesus is marvelous. He's wonderful. He's great. He's merciful. He's loving. He's patient. He's just. He's gracious. He's transcendent. He's present. He's alive in a very real sense. And I want to encourage us to spend time with the living God. To spend time with Jesus. You know, if you... I, I watched a, a video by John Piper this week, and, and he was saying, you can read theology for 10 years and not know him. So if you, if you come with all the difficult questions and all the theological jargon to me. But if I don't see you in any prayer meetings, if you're not spending time with Him, listening, repenting, trusting Him, I, I would say you got your priorities wrong. Jesus is alive. Spend time with Him. I don't know what you're going through. Problems, issues, great times. Go to Him. When was the last time you just cried before Him? I want to close with a prayer from the Valley of Vision. Let us pray together. O oh God of my exodus, great was the joy of Israel's sons 
when Egypt died upon the shore. Far greater the joy when the Redeemer's foe lay crushed in the dust. Jesus strides forth as the victor, conqueror of death, hell, and all opposing might. He bursts the bands of death, tramples the powers of darkness down, and lives forever. He, my gracious shorty, apprehended for payment of my debt, comes forth from the prison house of the grave, free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Show me herein the proof that his vicarious offering is accepted, that the claims of justice are satisfied, that the devil's scepter is shivered, that his wrongful throne is leveled. Give me the assurance that in Christ I died, in him I rose. In his life I live, in his victory I triumph, in his ascension I shall be glorified. Adorable Redeemer, Thou who was lifted up upon the cross are ascended to highest heaven. You who as a man of sorrows was crowned with thorns are now as Lord of life with glory. Once no shame more deep than yours, no agony more bitter, nor no death more cruel. Now no exaltation more high no life more glorious, no advocate more effective. You are in the triumph car leading captive, your enemies behind you. What more could be done than what you have done? Your death is my life, your resurrection is my peace, your ascension my hope, your prayers my comfort. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.